Hey everyone, welcome to Hit the Apex Podcast. I'm Jawad as always. Thanks for tuning in this week. It's the 27th of June, the end of the financial year, as some would like to celebrate. I don't know. <laughs> uh, well, yeah, that's all you hear about these days, it seems. But yeah, no, we're almost um, at the end of June, going into July. Still very cold here. Uh, so hope you wherever you guys are, you're staying warm and everything, you know, looking at the the race on the weekend, the French Grand Prix, which I'm going to talk about in a second, um, the weather there just made me quite envious, but then uh, this weekend, because we, um, we have a double header and Austria is pretty much, um, yeah, we're here, the Austrian Grand Prix weekend, looking like it's going to be 40 degrees or something there this week, so yeah, I'm kind of not envious of the 40 degree fact but I would like to have a bit more sunshine and some warmth anyway here as we freeze our backsides off but anyway uh French Grand Prix let's get straight into it and uh there'll be a preview of uh, Austria not too uh far into the future as well on this edition so yeah you can't really describe it as anything other than a Mercedes masterclass in France so Lewis Hamilton or Lewis the Almighty, you could call him, um, obliterated the competition. There's no other word to use for it. It was a total obliteration um, to take his sixth win of the season. Uh, Valtteri Bottas' teammate challenged early in the weekend, but then from sort of qualifying onwards, Lewis Hamilton was just the fastest. He was the benchmark, the championship, uh, the gap in the championship, I should say, is a lot wider now. It's at 36 points. So there's sort of a bit of head scratching going on, a bit of, uh, con- not confusion, but just a bit bit at a loss, bit of a loss on Bottas's side of the garage to search for some form. You know, he only just said last week heading into the French Grand Prix weekend that um, even in the form that Hamilton's in at the moment, he's not unstoppable. So, but what we saw was kind of like he is unstoppable at the moment. You know, you could basically say that barring external forces such as reliability or someone like a Pastor Maldonado comes and hits him on track or something, that, you know, Hamilton could uh, go unchallenged for this championship. And we're only, what, up to the ninth race as well so for it to be as wide as it is the gap it's pretty ominous and it just shows you um it's a testament actually i should say to the kind of form that lewis hamilton's in you know he's chasing records now that were set by michael schumacher who's the the most successful statistically the most successful driver in f1 you know and you know the favorite of many out there as well so seven world titles 91 wins hamilton already has the all-time pole positions record now he's you know not far off uh that um, all-time wins record and you know if this championship is to be his this year uh, if things continue as the way they are then yeah he's only within one championship of equaling Michael's record as well and it was quite interesting reading a few articles during the week and um, Toto Wolff was quoted uh, who's the Mercedes team boss he was quoted as saying that Hamilton's the greatest ever driver he's ever seen you know and Wolff you know um, someone of his experience and uh, uh, ex- you know someone of his experience I should say I'm not going to say someone of his age rather but yeah someone of his experience would have 
you know, seen, been around, you know, during the Schumacher dominance, he probably, when he was younger, would have seen Ayrton Senna, Alan Prost and all that, and even his his good friend and um, colleague and Nicky Lauder as well, you know, some of the most dominant drivers in F, F1 history. So for Hamilton to be regarded by his own boss, I guess, in that regard of being, you know, the greatest ever, it, you know, it's still early days yet to be talking about that sort of thing because, you know, we still think that Hamilton could be on the grid for a few years to come. And I've always said that, um, you know, whilst not everyone warms to Hamilton and his personality and what he does um, off the track, I think, you know, he's going to be one of those drivers that it won't be until after he retires that you'll have more people appreciating what he what he's accomplished and achieved and everything. I certainly, you know, for his on-track exploits and the kind of figure he is, have a, a lot a lot of respect I guess in that instance and you know what I think some of the commentary over the weekend or last week or something were talking about how we should be actually praising him for being on a level where or you know we should be appreciating that he's on that level where he can go and do all these things off track. So he was at a memorial for Carl Lagerfeld last week, um, a renowned designer uh in paris before the french grand prix weekend so he actually missed the media day on thursday the fact that he could be there then jet into paul ricard and then dominate the rest of the weekend just goes to show you that he's on a completely different level at the moment and also i guess having you know one of the best cars um and one of the best teams in formula one around you as well at the moment helps as well but then again the driver part of it takes a lot too because if if it was just all the car then you know where's Wise and Bottas winning sort of thing so it goes to show you that Hamilton sort of has that edge over the rest of the competition at the moment so yeah one two finish for Mercedes they started sorry they finished where they qualified uh, Bottas second uh, Ferrari I guess Again, not the greatest weekend for them. Sebastian Vettel had some setup woes heading into qualifying. He was fine throughout practice, but I think they changed something that then upset the balance in the car for him. He qualified down in ninth, started eighth because of a few grid penalties ahead, and then moved up to a best of fifth and ended up being in that fifth position. He was so detached from the car ahead, had a bit of a gap over the car behind and was able to pit on the penultimate lap to to go after the fastest lap and uh, get that extra championship point. Uh, Charles Leclerc qualified third, finished third. He was almost second, I think. You know, if he had a couple more laps, he could have got Valtteri Bottas at the end because they had a virtual safety car towards the end of the race. One of the bollards had been kicked into the middle of the track and um, they had to recover that, and I think Bottas caught a bit napping, I guess, uh, caught napping on the restart, and Leclerc closed the gap right up, so that looked pretty intense at the end of the race uh, for for those guys to try and uh, snatch P2, but again, you know, uh, consecutive podiums for Leclerc, so he's in a bit of good form at the moment, while Vettel is scratching his head, and you would have thought that after Canada that Vettel would be a bit more 
galvanized there'd be a bit more fire in the belly um heading into this race but you know he just sort of looked nowhere you know after qualifying of course but then in the race really couldn't do much from fifth and yeah ahead of him there was max verstappen of course uh fourth he couldn't really do much it was a lonely race for him there in the uh upgraded red bull with the new honda power unit so not enough there to challenge for the top three places but i guess more sort of uh pressingly with red bull at the moment is the uh inter-team battle between uh, max and pierre gasly so gasly under pressure i've talked about it for the last couple of weeks um you know i kind of feel for the guy because he's come in again in the same boat as Danny Kvyat a few years ago where then after not even half a season they're already talking about replacing him because he's uh, not been able to out qualify his teammate or out race his teammate so far this season and you know if it was finishing you know not too far behind Max you could sort of excuse it but the fact that you know Gasly he actually finished on track outside of the points in 11th um, and more than a minute behind Max in, as far as the race time concer- is concerned and he was also a lap down from the leaders too so that in a car that is capable of finishing on the podium qualifying in the top five as well and uh, the young Frenchman sort of struggling in that uh, regard you know you I feel for him in this instance because you don't want him to be thrown out of the Red Bull system straight away. I mean, there was a bit of a question mark coming into this year whether they had promoted him a bit too early, um, as is, was the case for Kvyat, because he replaced the outgoing Sebastian Vettel going into 2015, whereas uh, sorry, Gasly has come and replaced uh, Daniel Ricciardo. And, you know... It's not like Red Bull had any shortage of drivers in their junior system, but, you know, they went for Gasly. They thought that it would be okay. And I would, you know, I don't know what their agenda is at Red Bull, but given that we're only nine races into the season, new team, new environment for Gasly, could give him a bit more time to settle in and everything. But given that they're so cutthroat I guess um, it's probably not their mantra in that instance and there was that talk uh, around Monaco where they were even considering Nico Hulkenberg to to come over to Red Bull next year and you know there's a bit of chat actually about Hulkenberg um, building up after the French Grand Prix weekend and that Renault may not uh, exercise uh a contract renewal with him so you know that could be the end of his tenure at Renault and especially if Renault are now on the up you know we would have thought that Hulkenberg would have been a good fit at that team to potentially even score his first ever podium in F1 he's got that unwanted record of most Grand Prix without a podium you know potentially even win but uh, talk about uh, Cyril Abedable the team boss for Renault talking potentially about um, approaching Esteban Ocon again, you know, and of course the story with Ocon last year was that he was all but uh, there at Renault for 2019 until uh, at the last minute they made a, um, they got Daniel Ricciardo's signature, so, you know, whether Esteban is not going to be too, uh, what do you call it, still a bit too uh, sour about how that handshake was broken with he and Renault, I'm sure we'll see uh, Ocon back on the grid. And you know what? Like, it's a, it's an F1 seat. It's a plum seat as well. 
um, next year, given where Renault's progress is going. If they do next year make another step towards uh, the top three teams, you know, you wouldn't mind having a young driver like Ocon next to Ricardo and Ocon with so much potential around him as well. Those stories about how you know, in the junior formula, the only of the current drivers that are all racing um, that race together in the junior formula, the only one to have ever beat Max Verstappen was Esteban Ocon. So, sort of a, a feared presence is uh, <laughs> feared presence is Ocon. So, I've always wanted the prospect of an Ocon versus Verstappen in F1 uh, for wins and that sort of thing. So, yeah, that'll be one to continue watching. But um, I did not think coming into this year that Nico Hülkenberg would be under pressure to retain his seat at Renault. Silly season aside, though, uh, back to the race at, uh, at Paul Ricard. We had the best ever qualifying for McLaren since 2014. So... Lando Norris and Carlos Sainz qualified fifth and sixth on the third row, be- third row of the grid, best of the rest, and then they ended up scoring double points in the race too, uh, with Carlos Sainz the uh, best of the rest uh, in P6. But P7, it was a uh, fight to the chequered flag between four drivers. We had in the finishing order that was uh, the provisional classification. It was da- it was Daniel Ricciardo, Kimi Raikkonen, Nico Hülkenberg, and Lando Norris. But that order changed after the race because Daniel Ricciardo was hit with not one but two time penalties for you know going off the track and uh, rejoining unsafely. I think it was or some something like that. Because on the last we had Lando Norris who won the driver of the day honors. He was. Uh, struggling with hydraulics problems in the final few laps and struggling to hold on to that seventh place. And Daniel Ricciardo basically opened the uh, floodgates, got past, and then uh, Kimi and Hulkenberg were there as well. Uh, Dan had to pull a few manoeuvres to keep that seventh spot. And in the end, Norris lost out uh, three positions, I think it was, if my math serves me right. <laughs> he lost out three positions and it ended up outside of the... Uh, um, out down down in tenth or whatever, scoring just the one point. So, I guess a heroic drive from Lando in that instance to still be scoring points, but um, the uh, penalty to Ricardo helped him a little bit. But you know, P seven is P seven, and uh, the fact that he lost out on that would have been devastating. But again, you know, I've sort of waxed lyrical about Lando Norris so far this season and, you know, he himself has been quite harsh, uh, you know, harsh critic on himself as well at times in Canada. I think there was a lot said or he said about himself that it wasn't good enough, even though it was quite a decent performance in qualifying. But, um, you know, this is a driver that, you know, I'm sure is going to have a long future, hopefully, if McLaren don't turf another junior driver like they did the last two. And, you know, Carlos Sainz as well, bringing home the uh, goodies in sixth as well. So, you know, getting that lead back out over Renault in the Constructors' Championship, um, Daniel Ricciardo, of course, lost those points in the end. He was relegated down into, I think, 11th or 12th. Uh, with uh, with Gasly being bumped up into the points as a result of that. Uh, Kimi and Hülkenberg both uh, started on the hard tyres, uh, ran really long into the race to try and get a gain, which they did. They were, in, uh, they were right in the midst of the points and then switched over to the mediums at the end of the race and that meant that they were quite quite a lot quicker than the other guys and you know as a result 
Kimi first points for Alpha in a couple of races. Nico Hulkenberg as well, solid with the points he scored. So, you know, this is where I don't understand why, you know, why can't he stay at Renault, but, you know, Renault want to get another young driver in or, you know, they want a different lineup, blah, blah, blah. That's, you know, how Formula One politics usually work. So great result for those guys regardless. And, you know, it's interesting that, they were saying after the race or early in this week, in fact, that um, even though Raikkonen scored points for Alfa Romeo in France, that the issues that have been hampering them over the last few races haven't still been addressed. So, you know, that was probably all, all Kimi's class coming down to score that result for them in the end. Worst race ever for Haas. Um, that's what they say, actually, about it. Uh, Roman Grosjean retired in his home Grand Prix Kevin Magnussen only finished ahead of the Williams cars, so that just goes to show you that it was indeed one of the, the worst races that Haas have had in their short history in the sport. And, you know, when's when are things going to take a turn? You know, they continue to blame the tyres for their current woes, the fact that their car will not suit these 2018 or sorry 2019 spec Pirelli tires um, you know does there need to be a change in the tire rules as I'll talk about shortly or might as well talk about it now actually you know there's been talk about um, these 2019 tires not really delivering the exciting racing that we would have all expected and that sort of thing potential call or well, call for changing the tyres mid-season to create that unpredictability, that uh, more wear that we had last year because it seems to be processional one-stop racing at the moment. But you got to remember when the last time when they did make a tyre change uh, mid-season back in 2013, it was actually made on safety, gra safety grounds uh, because those tyres pretty much exploded um, you know, even the hardest of compounds were, were not safe to race on. And even though Red Bull benefited from that la, uh, in that year, you know, they couldn't possibly change it this year unless it was to do with safety. So, you know, I don't think that that's going to happen. But at the same time, you know, Mercedes seemed to be those tyres, uh, Mercedes seemed to be better suited to the tyres this year. Whereas in the past, you know, they've really struggled to get the tyres into the operating window. I mean, you look back into... You look back to, I think, Singapore it was a few years ago where, was it 2016 or 2015, one of those two years where, sorry, one of those two years where despite the dominance that they had, uh, that they just were nowhere that weekend because they simply could not get the setup right. The tyres were all over the place for them, so, you know, Maybe that's going to be one of the things that uh, be that could see them potentially not win a race this year if they go to a track where it doesn't suit them. But at the moment, all the tracks we've been to, whether it's street circuits or uh, road courses, as they say in IndyCar, um, they've they've been fine. You know, the tyres have worked really well for them. So, yeah, you know that you could pretty much call an open and shut. Uh, you could pretty much, yeah, open and closed case with that because no one's going to come out and say we've got to change the tyres um, that can actually have that power to do so so we're sort of stuck until next year where you know they'll probably make a change as far as how these tyres degrade and everything and 
try and push for two stops. But then again, when you have tyres that could see two stop races potentially work, the drivers and the strategy sorry the strategists will try to come up with a strategy which will minimise pit stop time so that you know even though it's probably quicker to do a two stop race they probably say right we're going to try and eke out we're going to try and eke out you know as much life as we can on this one set of tyres do one stop and that's it you know and as a result you know it's there's a lot of tyre management going on we don't see people go flat out as much as you would like to either so that's probably where the problem lies if we had 2013 spec tyres you know that's just not safe because they'll be exploding everywhere so just need to find some kind of balance I guess as far as uh, the rubber is concerned uh, Racing Point didn't have the greatest of races but the only thing to really take away from it for them was uh, Sergio Perez getting a lap one penalty um, five second time penalty which was quite contentious because ever since the whole incident in Canada with Vettel and Hamilton there's been a lot of talk about you know rejoining um, safely rejoining the track and everything and because in France the uh, Paul Ricard circuit's got so much runoff there um, they did discuss in the driver's briefing before the weekend that this is how you know these are the rules for rejoining the track blah 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 so even though Sergio Perez um, follow the rules as far as rejoining the track in a safe manner going around a designated bollard um, he was still given a penalty because it was found or it was evident that he gained an advantage so you know drivers are not going to just put the brakes on and stop and you know hope to come out um you know behind the where they're expected to they're just going to keep going and even if it means going around the bollard so that's where i think there was a bit of a bit of contentious debate about it because uh there was a bit of contentious debate sorry i don't know what happened there might have hit the wrong button yeah there was a bit of contentious debate around there because you know he did everything he was told to in the briefing but he was still hit with a penalty because he uh, came out and gained an advantage of that there so that's another topic to be talking about uh, is uh, race director Michael Massey said that he's uh, open to having a look at changing the sporting regulations for 2020 so nothing can be done now uh, mid-season and everything which is good because you don't want to make changes in the middle of a championship in case it affects the outcome of a championship but for 2020 looking at changing some of the sporting regulations that have been brought into light this year um, and created a lot of debate so you know as I said last week following up from uh, the incident in Canada um, or the week before the stewards made the right decision based on the rules that they've been given and they you know didn't make the wrong call as far as that's concerned you know if there's to be a change in the rule book then you know that changes the landscape of things and how we look at things for the future so but we're not going to really look back to and see how it could have changed a past incident or whatever so that's something you know if they do look at for next year that would be great just to i guess create a bit more clarity for the layman the spectator and also for the pundits as well that try to communicate to to the fans that you know this is the basis on which this decision was made etc etc even though that there's still going to be some people who are going to be extremely negative 
in the way that they portray all this sort of stuff. So, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what comes of that. Uh, obviously, and uh, Massey made this quite um, explicit as well that the problem as well that they'd have to try and potentially navigate through changing the sporting regulations is to um, see how it affects the ISC, which is the International Sporting Code. So that obviously governs um, all sports and all motorsports. You know, I mean, they're not going to just make a change specific to F1, but it's sort of got to... um, it's sort of got to cover all the all the bases and be sort of adaptable across different motorsports. So yeah, that's a few things to consider in that aspect. But you know, the fact that they're talking about it is good, as long as there's no knee-jerk sort of reactions, and that's something that we are you know very cautious about in F1 because of what's happened in the past and you know how many things they have reacted to on a knee-jerk basis, and we all say oh you know whoever's governing the sport has no idea what they're doing etc etc you know everyone suddenly who has a mobile phone or you know access to social media will come out and say they can govern the sport better and you know what all all the ideas that are out there and everything you know are, you know some of them are great some of them obviously not but you know it's a lot to consider moving forward especially when um Formula One's going to undergo a big change for the 2021 season. Um, New Concord Agreement, which will be the foundation for, you know, that'll you know be the foundation for what the sport's going to look like, and also the uh, what's going to bind the teams um, to the sport moving into the future. So that's going to be very um, that's going to be very interesting how that all pans out, and we know that. Uh, Ross Braun is quite keen on Lewis Hamilton having an input as well, the reigning world champion, as to how the rules will look as well, getting a driver's input, which is important, so that it's not all strictly just engineers expressing how they want to see what Formula One's like. So, yeah, you know, they're sort of, even though, and you guys know how annoyed I am with how long they're delaying these uh these rules being announced for 2021 that you know they are at least sort of taking the right steps as far as uh talking to the right people is concerned and you know it just depends now on when those rules come out how things will look so yeah we'll we'll leave it at that and quickly just finish off with Williams there in France so they again finished the race even though they were in last but you know there was a nice uh, battle between the two drivers between um George Russell and Robert Kubica but the big news, I guess, for Williams during the week was that um, Paddy Lowe, who was on sort of a leave, gardening leave, some kind of, uh, yeah, after testing or before testing, uh, has actually officially departed the team now. So, you know, no longer a shareholder and whatever. They can move on from him now, moving into the future. And they've sort of made progress you could say since you know the start of the year where things looked really dire um they have been really reliable they've been finishing every race so far they don't have the speed but you know they made some big update with their suspension which has been good so far so you know it's sort of slowly but surely moving in the right direction for those guys and you only hope the best for them because of all the success that they've had in the past and everything and a famous brand like Williams but 
still, you know, there's that 50-50 feeling of whether Robert Kubica will see out the year in the car, whether he can physically take it, um, who comes in, Nicholas Latifi potentially, who's um, been testing the car during FP1 a couple of times, um, who's currently in the F2 Championship, um, whether Esteban Ocon gets drafted in as a result of their partnership with Williams. It's all a bit um, it's all a bit up in the air at the moment, but you'd hope that uh, you know they can continue moving forwards. And you know, whenever I think about Austria, I think of Williams when you know in 2014, 15, they were quite strong. 14, they actually had the front row locked down. I think well, they had pole position at least with Felipe Massa, and they've been on the podium several times here as well in the last few years. So. Austria, good venue for those guys, and, you know, we'll move it on then to Austria, um, the hills are alive, insert uh, sound and music joke every year in regards to the Austrian Grand Prix, but yeah, home race for Red Bull, but Mercedes have been the best there, apart from last year when it was actually Red Bull who won, and for Mercedes last year, it was actually one of those few dire races that they've had in the hybrid era where both their cars failed to finish, it was a double DNF. But still, there was a, I guess, probably a fond memory. I wouldn't call it a fond memory, but my last memory of Sebastian Vettel overtaking Lewis Hamilton properly on track, that was last year in Austria. So saw that pop up in the Instagram feed today and just said, you know, since then, when else have we seen um, Sebastian Vettel overtake Lewis Hamilton in the last year? And I thought, maybe that's the last time. So who knows? Could that be a... Um, a sign for what's going to happen this weekend. You'd better hope so for for Ferrari because they still haven't won a race. We're eight races in into the ninth race. As I said, Leclerc, consecutive podiums. He's got the momentum at the moment in that team and Vettel's sort of fallen behind after what happened in Canada. And the fact that Austria, the Red Bull ring, is a power layout so cars that have better power output or whatever the most horsepower will be favoured at this track um, and Ferrari at the moment still have the best power unit and uh, they are the quickest in a straight line so you know could that potentially favour them this weekend who knows the question mark is in regards to execution and whether they can um, execute the result because you know they can have the best power unit etc etc but when it comes down to all the other things they really need to execute that before they can actually be in contention to win a race other than that I mean Red Bull you know they should be there or thereabouts and I guess a big test for them too for their Honda power unit as to where they uh, where they are and how quick they are in comparison to Mercedes and Ferrari so you know don't rule them out from potentially being on the podium, but you know, at a uh, from an outsider's look, you could probably say it's uh, Mercedes and Ferrari in there again. And Mercedes, if they go untroubled, could be on for a ninth consecutive win this weekend. So, yeah, that's um, that's those guys. The McLaren versus Renault midfield battle is shaping up to be quite intriguing. So. We're going to keep watching that, I guess, with those guys and whether, um, sorry, whether they're going to actually um, continue the momentum that they have. And, you know, talking about science's form, Norris's form, you know, Norris, apart from the few reliability issues he's had, he's been in sensational form. So 
That aside, you'd hope that he's on for a good result this weekend. Nico Hulkenberg with his future at Renault very much up in the air too. He needs to, you know, keep doing what he's doing. I totally think he deserves to be on the grid and also, you know, to be with a top team because he obviously, yeah, uber talented driver, but yet still without a podium after so many years in F1. You know, he's not even that old, you'd say, and, you know, he's, he's a stalwart and still hasn't achieved even getting a podium. So that's going to be the big thing, I guess, for the next few races when we get all that contract talk and um, silly season really starts to ramp up. So, yeah, you know, apart from that, um, keep a lookout for Toro Rosso as well, who've been on the cusp of points. Danny Kvyat's been in good form. And, you know, for those guys, any guys sponsored by Red Bull to get a good result at home is quite important. Alfa Romeo, how do they go? Haas, um, it's just been dreadful so far. So they need to get a good result on the board as well. And, you know, the whole weekend, because it's going to be that tipped 40 degrees uh, Celsius um, you know how do the tyres go because in France they were described by the Renault guys as melted chocolate driving around and melted chocolate so you know how's it going to hold up for them this weekend and reliability too because we know brakes and um, power units don't like getting too hot so yeah that's going to be something to look out for but Austria anyways always um, I kind of really love the track because it's so simple it's um, uh, got undulation it offers excitement short lap as well so you know plenty to play out there and you know really already looking forward to uh, free practice one which is tomorrow evening um, our time so that'll be great to to get on to but also back-to-back weekends the first one we've got this season so and there's going to be another one coming up after here so we get a week's break next weekend and then Silverstone and Hungary or Silverstone yeah Silverstone and Hungary are twinned together so boy that's a bit scary that we're already up to near the British Grand Prix and um, the Hungarian Grand Prix too Um, yeah that's just scary to think about it's been been 12 months since the Hungarian Grand Prix last year but anyway um that pretty much does it for the F1 side of things this week um wanted to talk a bit about State of Origin State of Origin 2 um probably not the greatest game uh for if you're a Queensland supporter (laughs) um definitely not because it was the second worst loss uh suffered by a Maroons team the last one I think was in 2000 or 2001 or whatever in New South Wales very much in the vein of Lewis Hamilton obliterated Queensland so that game played in Perth of course it was 38 to 6 in the end rain affected not that you know rugby really stops in the rain they just continue to go at each other and continue scoring spectacular tries and performing acrobatics and tackles and that sort of stuff but yeah for the Maroons it was a bit of a um it was almost like they didn't turn up during the game they only had a penalty try to their name as well scored by Will Chambers uh whilst for New South Wales the Trebojevic brothers ran riot so Tommy Trebojevic back into the team scored a triple 
So a hat-trick of tries for him. First one was only in a couple of minutes into the game itself. So, you know, he was in good form and obviously supported by his brother Jake as well. Ran riot with um, Queensland. James Maloney, who I was quite excited to see back in the New South Wales team, you know, completely justified his presence in the team with excellent game management and his leadership as well. You know, just constantly being a chatterbox and talking to the talking to the players on the field as well and even in the um, broadcast in the halftime when you see the teams in their um, dugouts or in the sheds or whatever you should say um, the coach Brad Fittler was sitting there quietly whilst it was Maloney giving the instructions and giving the team a bit of a a pep talk about how to attack the second half so you know the fact that Maloney wasn't selected for the first game anyway might be the or could be argued as being one of the reasons that they lost the first one up in Suncorp but yeah you know as a big game player Maloney shows up all the time and you know it's going to be crucial he's going to be the key to winning the series now even though Nathan Cleary's gone down injured with a um, ankle injury in the second game so he'll be out for at least four weeks or up to four weeks they said so he'll potentially miss the um, third and final game which is on the 10th of July so only two weeks away as well um, but yeah Maloney's definitely got to be a lock in that team but then every everyone else too you know Tedesco he was fantastic again Damien Cook out of dummy half superb the forward pack you know they brought in two new players into the forward pack so Dalfinukan and Daniel Saifidi um, from Newcastle they didn't they did a great job on debut so no problem with those guys and then of course um, Wade Graham was the other one who there was a bit of contention about the fact that he got selected for Origin 2 only having played 87 or 86 minutes um, in the lead up uh, for Cronulla because he's been on the sidelines with a knee reconstruction or whatever up until just a few weeks ago but he completely justified his position in the team too so when Cleary went down even though um, Graham is actually a forward and plays in the forward pack um, Cleary's injury uh, saw the coach uh, coach Fittler bring Graham into the halves and put um, uh, Graham into the 5-8 position whilst uh, Maloney was playing halfback and steering the side so you know there's been some talk about whether they should just keep that combination for the third and final game have uh, Graham and Maloney together or whether you know they should bring back Cody Walker or something like that you know which I wouldn't be too opposed to because I was pretty pretty gutted that Cody Walker got dropped after just the one game and even though it was not really enough of a chance for him to prove himself either Mitchell Pierce again being talked about as potentially returning but then also does he want to return as well that's another question that um, he's been asked a little bit so you know a few few changes to be made I guess for both teams heading into game three but for New South Wales it's only off the back of injury you could say um, do you bring back Latrell Mitchell as well um, and then move Jack Whiten into the halves as well who's played in the halves for Canberra all year um, a lot of questions to ask but then again you know don't change a winning formula only you know change what you need to if there's injury which in this instance for Nathan Cleary there has been for Queensland though that's where you know the changes will be key if they do make changes so I guess the biggest criticism for their game two loss was the fact that their forwards just basically failed to lay a platform it just seemed like no one had any intent to do anything um 
Jared Wallace, I guess there was a lot of criticism towards him. So, you know, whether you drop him and then hope that Joe Afferhan Joe Offerhen Gowie is fit because he'll be playing for Brisbane this week after he was injured in Origin 1, whether he'll be fit to be picked for Origin 2, you definitely got to pick him, um, and yeah, just, you know, laying that platform, which they just didn't do in that um, second game, and, you know, it's going to be a big challenge for them to win the series from here, obviously, because the third and final game is being played in New South Wales at ANZ Stadium in Sydney. So whether they can actually capitalise or, or bounce back, I should say, and take the win there remains to be seen. But they really have to. There's no there's no other um, alternative for them. Um, we said after the first game, we praised how they've pretty much emerged from that previous era for of those um, key players, those immortal quality players. Um, such as Jonathan Thurston, Cameron Smith, Billy Slater, you know, then this year, into this year we had um, uh, Greg Inglis go as well, and Cooper Cronk, of course, having retired from uh, representative footy too, so, you know, having lost all those players, now we've got a new era for, for Queensland, but at the same time, they need to cement themselves by taking the win and winning this series, because only then it's going to give them validation but also for their coach Kevin Walters as well like personally I wouldn't say that it's time to to change coaches or anything Walters is doing a great job but it's the players that need to now turn around and show that intent and everything and you know Dylan Napper I think was another player who was really poor on Sunday night um, even though he had a broken broken wrist or whatever I mean he shouldn't have played if he had a broken wrist and if he was nursing that through the whole game and not really charging as he's supposed to do um, forwards and laying that platform as I keep saying so yeah you know it's gonna expect some changes in the forward pack probably that's all I would say everywhere else will sort itself out Um, the rest of the team looks pretty solid I'd say and Jai Arrow it's unfortunate that he's out injured because you know he it looked like that they really missed him over the weekend too in um, the forward position number 13 jersey I think he wears normally. So, yeah, it'll be exciting, I guess, um, going into that final game, the decider. We kind of wanted it to go to a decider anyway, but, um, you know, the fact that Queensland got drubbed this hard, hard, there's a bit of concern about their credentials to win the series, but we'll all find out, I guess, in a week and a half time. And then after that, it's back to... um, Sorry, back to regular club football too. So in the NRL, because... The last few weeks have sort of wreaked havoc on um, Supercoach. If you any of you play that or whatever, you can uh, sympathise with me having uh, lost a couple of rounds because of plays being unavailable and whatnot. So, you know, I'll be glad for a bit of normality to resume once Origin is done and dusted. So I haven't done a hit the globe for a couple of weeks now and I'm going to keep it quite short because I don't want to go over an hour again like I did last week. But um, I can't believe I didn't talk about this at the time. But yeah, uh, the Toronto Raptors winning the NBA championship, you know, and they wrapped it up in game six and that was two weeks ago too. So, you know, ending the streak of wins that uh, Golden State had over the competition. All those uh, Toronto fans, all those neutral fans out there will be happy with that win. And, you know, now we're very much into the off-season. The draft has already been done and everything as well for the 2019 and 2020 season. Trades all 
um, all pretty much uh, happening as well right now. So uh, we had Anthony Davis finally leave the uh, leave New Orleans, sorry, and um, go over to the Lakers to join LeBron James, and the, as a result, the Lakers had to trade out two of their young talents in uh, Lonzo Ball and Brandon Brandon Ingram to to New Orleans uh, for Davis. They're possibly even chasing J.R. Smith as well to uh, to have him link up with LeBron again after they were together at uh, Cleveland. Um, a lot of speculation about Kyrie Irving, of course, where his future lies. Uh, that too of Kevin Durant, Clay Thompson as well, both of those guys injured at the moment. Um, Kyrie potentially on his way to Brooklyn. Um, the talk was that he could end up at the Knicks, but you know what's really attractive about the Knicks at the moment that Brooklyn don't or that don't have. You know, both obviously in the same uh, neck of the woods in, in New York. You can still live in New York or whatever and um, get the same money, I think, as well. But, you know, Brooklyn, just a stronger team at the moment and we're in the playoffs this year too. And that just breaks my heart as a Knicks fan because I really need, I really want to see some all-star caliber players in that team um, to potentially turn around their fortunes. And, you know, with Kevin Durant injured at the moment as well, is it really attractive for us to go after him? You know, but then again, thinking about in the long term, that could be potentially a good move to make, you know, to secure him. And then when he is fit and ready to play, you have him there. They just signed DeAndre Jordan as well, who I don't know where he was playing recently, but he was a long time uh, stalwart at the LA Clippers, solid in the centers. So, yeah, you know, getting some key players, all star players, that's what we need basically to try and guide this team, give it a bit of direction, you know, and um, just create some more interesting plays because it's just, I'm not even going to call them unpredictable, they're just awful at the moment and, you know, I just, you know, I want to wear my New York, uh, I want to put on my New York cap with pride a little bit more these days, not that I don't already, but you know what I mean, you want to see your team winning as much as you can. Um, Cricket World Cup, uh, quickly as well, just wanted to have a little rant, non-rant about it, um, as far as the uh, not having the pool stages or pool style format that they've had for pretty much forever. Um, this year it's more like a round-robin style thing where every team plays each team once and then you go straight to the semis, the top four teams. And I just find that quite boring, to be honest, because you pretty much know who's going to be at the top anyway whereas with the pool there was a bit of unpredictability as to you know one of the the teams you don't expect to be in the finals can sneak into the quarterfinal or to the semi-final you know by knocking off one of those bigger teams in the pool stages but you know Australia have already booked their semis berth they've only dropped one game so far New Zealand have dropped a game now but they didn't play one due to I think they had a couple that they missed because of rain um but, yeah, you know, they've dropped a game now, finally. They lost to Pakistan last night. But Pakistan are the ones who now are sort of those outsiders to sneak into that fourth place, which currently England are in, you know, the host nation are under threat of losing. So Pakistan's run to the end of the, um, to the regular games is uh, they've got Afghanistan and Bangladesh coming up, whereas England, they've got to play India 
which you know India's as well I think are unbeaten at the moment so that's going to be a tough one and they're going to have to win that to be able to keep their um, hopes alive for playing in the semi-finals but yeah you'd expect Australia New Zealand India and that I would have said a week ago England in that um, in the top four but you know you just kind of dare to dream if you're a Pakistan supporter that um, they can sneak into the finals as well. So that'll be great to see if they can. And there's this funny thing um, circulating everywhere at the moment on the internet and during the broadcast as well about how history is repeating itself. Um, and looking back at the 1992 World Cup, that the matches that they've played so far, Pakistan, their results have been... Earingly, eerie, eerily, eeringly, there's no such word as eeringly, uh, eerily the same as it was in 92. So, like, even last night's result against New Zealand, it was almost like a carbon copy of what happened. And they even had one game uh, cancelled due to weather as well. So, you know, could history repeat itself? dare to dream basically for those guys but yeah it's that was quite exciting to watch and um you know the rest of it now that we're sort of at that pointy end of the tournament as well it's probably not going to be as boring but yeah there was a couple of weeks where it just seemed like uh we already know what's going to happen we already know what's going to happen um might as well not watch the rest of this so yeah and um finally with IndyCar too Alexander Rossi winning at Road America seven points adrift now of Joseph Newgarden in the championship too still a handful of races to go but um you know got all the uh, support behind Rossi to go after his first championship in IndyCar he came so close last year against um Scott Dixon, but just missed out in the final um, race there in uh, Sonoma. So yeah, that's that's about it then for today. Uh, big weekend of racing F1 in Austria, also the Dutch TT uh, race in um, Assen for the MotoGP as well. So yeah, last time out in MotoGP, it was a bit of a disaster for half the field or only four riders. Uh, Jorge Lorenzo came in like a bowling ball and took out the likes of uh, Davizioso and uh, Maverick Vinales and, uh, you know, I guess Valentino Rossi was a bit lucky not to have uh, fallen as well. He got to get back on his bike and um, continue going. But, yeah, you're just going to have to... It's going to be tough now for anyone to try and beat Marc Marquez without Marquez making mistakes or for one of the other guys to go on a run because, um, yeah, results like that, Obviously, Davizioso, who was the closest challenger to Marquez um, after that DNF, is a fair way behind in the title standing. So they're going to have to pick up their game and avoid things like that and also hope that Marquez has a few um, few offs as well to, to reduce that points deficit. So kind of like Lewis Hamilton's form at the moment in... Um, in the F1 is uh, Mark Marquez. But anyway, I'll talk more about those next week when we're here to wrap it all up again. Same time as always in seven days' time. But apart from that, have a good weekend, guys. Enjoy the rest of your week, and um, I'll talk to you then. Bye.